Rightio, so you cannot disciple everyone, but you can disciple one. Uh, this sermon is called Disciple One. You cannot disciple everyone, but you can disciple one. It's a frustration of mine. I can't disciple everyone. I'd like to. Um, and uh, the biggest frustration as a pastor is sometimes when you see somebody come in the doors, you hear their story, you realize here's a guy or a girl who's on their early steps. Maybe they're searching out faith for the first time. They've never made a, a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe they've actually uh, made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, and maybe it was even at childhood, and they've never really had anybody disciple them. And my heart is actually to see them connected into a discipleship relationship where somebody comes alongside them. And uh, you see, discipleship uh, is more than just, let me teach you something to know. It's, it's about journeying with somebody where they know that they belong, and they know that uh, that. Uh, Following Jesus really matters for the everyday things in life. And so the thing that breaks my heart sometimes is when somebody comes, I see their discipleship need, and that as quickly as they come in, they leave out the back door because we haven't connected them. And so my heart is to see a church body who disciples just one. Maybe you could do more than one. But what if you discipled one? Our greatest moment as a church will not be when we build our building. Our greatest moment will not be how many people we actually sit on seats. Our greatest moment will be how many people we've discipled and made followers of Jesus. Amen? For those of us who are a little bit older, even though I don't look it, I'm turning 45 this week, praise God. Um, for those of us who are a little bit older, you might think more so in terms of legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? And I can tell you, when you get to the end of your life, you won't be uh, looking back and thinking, gee, I'm so glad I built that big house. I'm so glad I came up with that great program and ran it so efficiently. I'm so glad that I... Uh, you know, was so successful in business. Your greatest moment actually will be around the relationships that you imparted something into. Amen? That's, that's what you're looking for. And so I want to ask you, well, if you've never discipled someone, well, now's a good time to start. Now's a good time to say, you know what? I can't disciple everyone, but I'm going to disciple one. Maybe you have discipled somebody before, and uh, you know the benefits that come with discipling others. In fact, if you are discipling somebody, you grow as they grow. It's incredible how God does it. Because they face things that you never face sometimes. And so you're searching for answers as to, well, how do I lead them through this and point them to Jesus in this? And as you do, you see some incredible things. And you grow as somebody who disciples. But I want to encourage you. If you're discipling somebody or have discipled someone, be ready to disciple one. Disciple again. Find somebody who's in your circle. I was thinking back to the very first time I remember being discipled. I was around about 13 years old. Uh, close to Jake's age, who's 12. But I was about 13 years old. And if you can imagine that, that's coming into youth age. We had a small Sunday school before church started. It was called Sunday school back in my day. And, um, and so we had a number of youth there. And we had a, we had a guy who came in to teach 
And it was the very first time I met him. His name was Bob Y. And uh, this guy, as he started to share about different... Do you remember him, Josh? Yeah. Uh, Bob Y was a very um, amazing guy. A young fellow who wanted to impart into younger people. And as he uh, taught... Now, I remember sitting amongst... We must have had about 10 kids, including myself. I remember sitting there when I had a penny drop as Bob was asking questions about who knows the answer to, and he asked a question. I know, I know, I know the answer. And I was one of those cheeky kids who knew all the answers or thought he knew all the answers. Uh, And being the pastor's kid, I kind of thought I knew all the answers. And so I would keep on, I know the answer, I know the answer. And, uh, And the penny dropped... I really know a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's what happened. I remember that moment. I remember where I was sitting and, I'm, and feeling like I feel really proud about myself. Then uh, moments later, uh, we went to a church picnic and Bob Y offered to take myself, and I think Josh, or maybe one of the other guys in our, our Sunday school. And as we were driving, another penny dropped. I realized... Bob Y, you see, he was a passionate lover of Jesus, and he spoke as though he knew him, and he had this, he had this beautiful, uh, and what's the word, he had this beautiful uh, smile on his face that just showed, he just had a peace, he had a joy over him that came, came from knowing Father God himself. And all of a sudden, a penny dropped, I remember where I was sitting, I remember where we were driving, it's amazing the things you remember. And all of a sudden I realized, this guy knows Jesus. This guy knows him. I I know about Jesus, but this guy knows Jesus. You could say, I knew what, but then when I met why, I wanted to know who. I thought about that for a long time, that joke. I even giggled to myself. But here was a guy who knew Jesus. And I wanted what he had. I wanted to know Jesus the way that he knew Jesus. I didn't want to just to, to know things about the Bible that were true. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to hear from him. And it wouldn't happen until a while later. See, my dad was a great influence in my life, and, and he knew Jesus. But for whatever reason, I was still searching around, looking for answers in just knowing about God rather than knowing Him. And uh, as we got uh, later on in life, I met Liz, we got married, we went to a new church that was just down the road from where we'd bought our first house, it was New Vine, they were meeting at Regal Cinema, and uh, we grew up a heap there. Uh, we, We started, some of the questions I had about knowing Jesus started to become real, in that place. I began to hear Jesus for the first time. One of the most influential people in our lives were Greg and Sherlene Robson, who ran a a life group for us. Some of you will know Daniel Robson, who married one of our own, Hannah Watts, and um, that was his family. Daniel wasn't born, I don't think, when we first started going there. And uh, so we, we went to their house each week for life group, and my favorite times were the times when nobody else showed up. It was just Liz and I and Greg and Sherling. We had them all to ourselves. That was awesome. We, we got discipled so much under them. We got discipled in how to hear from Holy Spirit. We got discipled in, uh, in knowing Jesus personally. We got discipled in 
how to do business. We got discipled in how to do parenting. In fact, our kids probably have them to blame for how we parented them. And we would go home each time that we met with Greg and Shirlene and we'd say, hey, what did you, what did you take a hold of from what they were modeling or what they said? And we're trying to apply it into our own life. And so we just saw Jesus in them. We started to begin to understand what it meant to know Jesus. Later on, uh, as we planted a church, I started to have a whole heap of questions around how to counsel people and how to, uh, uh, you know, how to move through certain leadership issues. And Paul, my pastor Paul, uh, became very much at that point uh, my discipler uh, of me. And, and he began to feed into me around that. In fact, even before that, I didn't know it at the time, but he was sowing into me in ways that I didn't realize. And he was inviting me to conferences. He was inviting me to, to come on uh, road trips with him to different areas that he was ministering. And um, I got invited in to just see how God was at work in his life and just to rub shoulders with him. He also uh, called us in with a number of other people to, to help run a, um, a night church and uh, a youth group and a number of different things that we got involved with. But all along, he was just allowing us to just spread our wings and get to know what it meant to actually be a disciple. He even let me preach, which I wasn't really good at preaching uh, when I first preached. I got up and it was one of those cringe moments. You're like, oh, I delivered that. And, but yet, he still, he still gave me other opportunities to preach. And so who, who's discipling you? I know who discipled me, but who's discipling you? And you, you might think, you see, somebody who disciples others uh, is oftentimes somebody who's been well-discipled themselves. So I want to encourage you to think about what it might look like for you to be discipled. I, I'm, I've got a, we call it a mentoring group. It's really essentially discipleship with Caleb and Caleb and Stewie Coombs and Jake. We have a great time. Uh, we met for the first time together, although I've been meeting with these guys for 12 months separately. But there's something about getting together. I love it. We, we actually um, see, um, not only do I see God move in their lives, but God is moving in me in ways that I have to grow in as well. And they keep me fresh, which is great. So who's discipling you? Now, we might have some, some questions around discipleship. So what is discipleship? Not discipleship. Discipleship. And what is the goal? Uh, is it important for me to, to be discipled? How can I gain the most out of discipleship? Can God use me to, to disciple others? That's a question you might even ask. Can God use me? Let me start with that. Jesus asked 12 ordinary men to be his disciples. Praise God. An accountant, a tradesman, a politician, ordinary people, and he called them in to be his disciples. Their lack of knowledge about God and the Old Testament did not disqualify them. Praise God. Imagine for a moment that Donald Trump had a disciple. His disciple, I can tell you, would have a comb over. You could tell he's a disciple of Donald Trump because of the comb over. But discipleship goes much deeper. You can tell a disciple of another because they hold some things that are, that are of the same, the same values. Sometimes they even speak in similar language. Sometimes they, they use the same illustrations. Sometimes their judgments over things are of the same caliber of, of those that disciple them. They think, how would my, uh, my mentor or my discipler, how would they uh, do this? Um, they have discernment 
the same way. They have a heart that beats the same way. And the more they spend time with the one that they're being discipled by, they end up, when you meet them, you go, ah, I've heard that before. Wouldn't it be great if somebody, when they met you, see, each of us, even though we're discipled by one another, we're actually disciples of Jesus. Wouldn't it be great that when somebody saw you and they're going, you're familiar to me, I, I can't quite place it. Hang on a minute, I know who it is, Jesus. Now that would be great. That's exactly what was intended. Well, how do we tell a disciple? It's not by the comb over, it's by their fruit. They, they bear the same fruit as the one who discipled them. Well, what kind of fruit did Jesus bear? Well, you could probably name it. The way that he had compassion on people. The way that he had authority when he spoke. The way that he saw the least of these. The way that he had faith to believe that God could touch somebody right there and then. Healing, deliverance, raising the dead. Now, if somebody rose somebody from the dead... You'd say, I know where that came from. That's not from here. That's so Jesus-like. You see, that's, that's the fruit that comes from being a disciple. You carry the same fruit as the one who is discipled. You might even think to yourself, well, what fruit am I carrying? And that's why we need discipleship. Because we're being made into the likeness of who Jesus is. So if you want to know what discipleship is, it's simply following Jesus and coming into the maturity of who he is. That's all it is. I heard somebody say, uh, he said to a whole bunch of, of people who were still deciding whether they would follow Jesus or not. He said, you can follow anyone you wish. I can't think of somebody better than Jesus to follow. And that's why I'm following him. So if you're gonna follow someone, Jesus will not just allow you to be a part of his crew, he wants you to become like him. And he's so active in uh, raising you up to become just like him. Praise God. So Jesus chose ordinary people. Acts chapter four, verse 13, we find uh, an interesting commentary where it says, when they saw the courage of Peter, and this was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the high priests, they were standing and, and interviewing Peter and John and questioning them as to how it was that they uh, healed this lame man. And uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, you see, they had just told Peter and John, you cannot go and tell anybody else about Jesus. You must stay silent. And they said, as for, for me and as for John, uh, we choose, you have to choose for yourself, but we choose to be honest to what we know. And so we're going to continue telling people about what we've seen and heard and what we've witnessed. And so they said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, say unschooled, ordinary men, say ordinary men, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with who? With Jesus. He'd been with Jesus. They could tell these guys have been with Jesus. We can tell they're ordinary men and yet something is completely different about them. And it's Jesus-like. They could tell they'd been with Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're at, how ordinary you feel. And there's times where you feel more ordinary than others. But, 
But no matter how ordinary you feel, Jesus chooses you. Praise God. He chooses you. He chooses me. The goal of discipleship is to become the fullness of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, uh, Paul writes, and he's appealing to a church who were new Christians. They were a church who, uh, they had plenty of different people coming in and preaching and teaching. And yet Paul had been a part of their birthing, a part of the start of this church. And so he writes to them, with a very loving heart, he says, for though you have countless guides, this is in the ESV, for though you have countless guides or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Say fathers. You do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's appealing to them. He's saying, you could have any teacher you like, but what you most need is a father. What you most need is a parent. Somebody who is going to parent you. Uh, we live in a world where there's unlimited access to information. You can, you can look up uh, podcasts and listen to the latest and greatest. Uh, you can um, read books. There's some great books out there that you can grow from. Uh, you, you, can, uh, you can watch YouTube clips and uh, TV preachers. There's so many different ways that you could actually take a hold of the gospel message. But Paul says, even though you have all those things, what you most need is a father. What you most need is a parent. What you most need is somebody who cares for the nurture and growth of you beyond what you know. Amen? You can know lots of stuff. And then I think he could have introduced Bob Y at that point because you need to know God. You need to know him personally. You need to know who and why it's so important to not just know about him, but to know him personally. He said, you need fathers. You need mothers. I've met people who could tell you more about what Google says about Jesus or what Google says about a particular famous preacher than what the Bible says and what they're learning from what God has been showing them. People will lean into, because they thirst for knowledge, if you're not intentional, you won't enter into a relationship. You see, a relationship is difficult. It means you've got to be vulnerable. And to be quite frank, not every one of us want to be vulnerable about the things that are deep down in us. But if you could choose to be vulnerable and allow somebody to parent you right where you're at, to, to disciple you right where you're at, you'll realize that that person who's discipling you will not be shocked by your inner story but they'll keep pointing you towards Jesus and show you a way forward because they care for you. See, parents, they care in who their child is becoming, not just in what they know. Even when their child has been given, uh, given up on certain things, when their child has given up on certain things, parents don't abandon them. They pursue their best interests for the long term. They lead them with grace. They have difficult conversations with them. Parents sometimes have to sit down with their kids and just say, hey, I've noticed that this has been happening or I've noticed that you're going through a bit of a tough time. Do you want to talk about that? Or I've noticed that we really need to talk about you know, that behavior that happened. Parents do that not because they feel like they want to be a, a killjoy or anything like that. They see the end result of their child. They want to see 
their child grow into the maturity of, of who they're going to become as an adult. They don't, want to be, they don't want them to find that out when they're an adult and then somebody else tell them, hey, you're really out of place. And then nobody actually discipled them. Uh, nobody actually disciplined them through it. And so parents have difficult conversations sometimes and they care about who they're becoming. I know we're running out of time, so I wanna cycle through to uh, two last passages. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. Notice how Paul talks to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Notice he says, Timothy, my son. He embraces him, he calls him into family. He calls him in to be one of his own. That he takes personal responsibility for Timothy and he calls him in and loves him. Then he says, uh, notice he also says, um, he instructs him, I'm giving you this command. He's able to speak into his life in such a way that he instructs Timothy. And the command is this, in keeping with the prophecies, Timothy, remember the prophecies that were spoken over you. And quite likely, Paul was a part of prophetically speaking into Timothy's life and calling out who God says he is and speaking into him. He says, remember those prophecies that were once made about you. And then he, then he starts to commend him towards it. And he says, fight the good fight. He says, fight the battle well. Don't just sit on a prophecy and not bring it to fruition. But you're a part of this, Timothy, and I'm a part of this because I'm coaching you into it. I'm sending you into it. I'm mentoring you into this. I'm calling you up to who God has called you to be. As disciple makers, our part is to actually see what God has actually done in somebody, to call it out, to prophesy over them, to call them up to who God has called them to be and say, go and fight the good fight. You've got more in you. Jesus has great things for you. Go, you can run this. You can do this. To put them in awkward positions where they have to minister and realize, you see, because sometimes the, the disciple sees more in that person than they see in themselves. And they realize, God, you're in this. God, you're bigger than what I thought. And so Paul, he, he uh, disciple. you see, Paul was a very busy guy. And yet he had time to disciple people. I can tell you that Paul had a reach with his ministry. But the reach with his disciples that he discipled was far greater than what he could reach. Amen? Lastly, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. And then I'm going to, I'm going to close with just an illustration. Uh, Jesus says, uh, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Notice he says, All authority. And he, he says, uh, if you're looking for the level of that authority, it's greater than anything in heaven. It's greater than anything on earth. Therefore, therefore is there for, the reason is because he's talking about his authority. Amen? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The reason why 
he knew that his disciples could make disciples is because of the authority that he sent them in. That's important to know. If you're wondering whether God can use you to disciple others, you need to know Jesus said the very verse before, all authority has been given to me above heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and disciple others. Go and make disciples. Go and be discipled. Go and baptize people and teach them to obey my every command. Well, every command was simply love one another and then all the things that go with that and pursue others and tell them about Jesus. It was really quite simple, his commands for us to do. And he calls us to deeply step into that. A few weeks ago, um, I heard uh, Craig Sparrow uh, speak and then also he, uh, his mentor, he, he was under an internship with Chris Gore. And so Chris was down at Gateway Church and he's the, the leader for the healing ministries at Bethel Church. And, um, and I've heard Craig speak a number of times. When I heard Chris Gore speak, I went, Craig says that. Craig says that. Craig uses that illustration. Craig does it that way, and I could see Craig all over Chris, right? Because he had been discipled by Chris. And so the fruit of what Craig is bringing is actually a result of the discipleship of what Chris had sowed into his life. Amen? And so now I see a Craig Sparrow-Gore um, because here he is, he's carrying on the ministry of what Chris has done. Now I can tell you that Chris has been all over the world. He's, he uh, was saying to us that uh, he, last year he was away from home for 130 days, speaking in all sorts of different engagements and uh, they've seen so many miracles and healings. I can't tell you how many, but I'm guessing it's in the thousands and the people that they would have led to faith as well would be in the thousands. Chris has a reach of people he can reach, but he's discipled many people, and he's very intentionally uh, put them in internships and discipled them with everything he knows. He said to a small group of pastors, he said, the people that I choose for internship are those that I know are going to go on into ministry and are going to uh, do the same for somebody else. So that's what he's looking for. And so he's very intentional about who he journeys with. But I can tell you the reach of all of his disciples is far greater than the reach of Chris. And this is how Jesus intended to actually minister through you and I. That the reach of Christ is far greater than just what Jesus could reach in Jerusalem or in uh, Judea or uh, in all of Israel. He sent his disciples out, go, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the gospel in mind, go and make disciples. Do you know, we are a result of the very first movement that happened amongst the disciples. Amen? And so we enter into a movement. I heard uh, Ian say a little while back, uh, a few weeks ago, he said, does discipleship stop with you? Does the movement stop with you? I've been thinking about that. That's a really good, a really good point. You see, you got discipled by someone, but did it stop with you? Because the movement wasn't meant to stop with you. 